All right, everybody, we're glad to see you on this Wednesday night. Uh, finally feels like spring. Let's all stand together. All over the building, let's talk about Jesus. Everybody sing nice and loud. Good crowd tonight, so sing out. Here we go. One, two, three. Let's talk about Jesus. Hold on, one more time. Let's talk about Jesus, the King of kings is he. Sing out now. The Lord, Lord, supreme throughout, throughout eternity. The great I am, the, the great I am, the way, the truth, the life, the door. Let's talk about Jesus more Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be back in your house tonight. Pray your blessings upon our services this evening. Lord, I pray that you bless the Iwana folks. Give, us, give them a great study time and bless our Bible study now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen and amen. Let me have you two fellas come up here with me tonight. Yep, come on, buddy. Good job. Thank you, boys. Everybody can be seated for me. Everybody can be seated. Uh, two quick announcements, uh, and then we'll let everybody head out, all the Iwana folks. First of all, any of the ladies, if you could help us on Friday night. We had wanted to do it this past weekend, but something happened that prevented us from doing so. Uh, we need to get all this undecorated and get ready for Easter on Sunday. So any of the ladies that can help, going to meet here at 5 o'clock Friday night. Uh, we'll provide you supper uh, to help us out with that. And then I uh, want to give everybody an update on the Turners. Uh, I think most of you got the messages. Sister Vicky is at home. She's uh, very sore. Uh, got a long way to go. Brother Robert remains in critical care. Uh, he's got 10 broken ribs. Both of his collarbones are broken. His back is broken. Uh, they've done surgeries. He's got a long, long, long way to go. So please, please, please continue to pray for Brother Robert Turner if you would. All right, Cubbies, you can head out tonight. Here we go. And Spark says you can head out tonight.
and TNT. all stand together tonight grab your blue song book turn to hymn number 185 my savior's love we'll sing the first second last verse hymn number 185 tonight i stand amazed in the presence of jesus and nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. For me it was in the garden he prayed not my will. drops of blood for mine. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. When with the ransom in glory, His face I at last shall see. love for me. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Amen. Thank you, Brother Ken. I love, love, love that hymn. Let's remain standing for prayer tonight. Uh, we'll do your prayer request this evening that you want to share tonight. If you're glad it turned out warm this week, say amen. I know the rest of you. I'm sorry. But uh, uh, my wife and I were sitting, you know, my wife and I are big cold weather lovers. And so we were sitting at dinner the other night commiserating about the fact that snow was over. It was starting to warm up. She looked over at me and she said, well, the good news is nine more months till Christmas. Amen. <laughs> All right. On my right tonight, I want to share a prayer request this evening. Anybody? Yes, thank you, honey. Uh, Alice Campbell has come home, continue to pray for her. Alice had to have a biopsy done as well, so they're waiting on the results of that. We got to see her late Monday night, uh, as well as the Turners. Thank you, Renee. Yes, and pray for Dr. Godwin. Also, Dr. Godwin is out this week with the flu, so remember her. On my right, yes, ma'am. Oh, my goodness. Pray for Brother Jerry. Is he still in the hospital? All right. Remember Jerry. Thank you, Miss Irma. Somebody else on my right tonight want to share a prayer request? Yes, ma'am. Absolutely, Miss Nadine. Thank you so much. Anybody else on my right tonight? Prayer request. 
in the middle this evening want to share? Yes, ma'am. All right. All right. Thank you, Jordan. Appreciate that. Yes, ma'am. All right. All right. Thank you for all of that update. I appreciate that, Miss Leanne. Somebody else in the middle tonight want to share a prayer request? Yes, sir. Amen. Amen, buddy. Thank you, Brother Biggs. Somebody else? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. Go ahead. All right. Go ahead. Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely, Sister Vi. Thank you so much. Appreciate you sharing that. Others in the middle tonight want to share. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead, Sister Helbert. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Brother John. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, we've mentioned him a couple of times. He's got a long ways of recovery. Absolutely. Thank you, John. Yes, ma'am. All right, thank you. Appreciate that so much. My goodness, yes. Yeah, there, Sam. <laughs> All right, thank you. Been, been rough, amen. <laughs> amen, buddy. Amen. All the time.
Yep. And one of them falls to the house. She's okay, right? Amen. Praise the Lord. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. You, now you need to administer some extra TLC. Wow, wow. Well, praise the Lord. She's all right, Brother Sam. So, Amen. Somebody else in the middle tonight, Brother Josh. Absolutely. Several more rounds to go for her, correct? Amen. Sister Betty? Amen. Absolutely. Amen. Well said. Well said. Anybody else in the middle? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. Yep. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you know, folks, they're going to put him, in all likelihood, going to have to put him on a breathing machine, and that is to, to help him heal. So uh, it's just a long way to go, and I lift him up, if you would. Thank you, buddy. Oh, let me go over here. Somebody on my left tonight, and then I'll come back, John. Yes, ma'am. Amen. Amen, Sister Peck. Thank you so much. Somebody else on my left. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Thank you, Sister. Somebody else tonight. Yes. Amen. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Brother John. She's at home. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. Let's join together in prayer tonight. Father, we are glad 
to be in your house. And, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to bear one another's burdens. Lord, thank you so much for uh, being doors open on a Wednesday night. And, Lord, uh, our ability to share these prayer requests and these burdens with one another. Lord, I pray especially tonight for Brother Robert Turner. Lord, uh, our heart just breaks when we see the tragedy of the accident that can happen so quickly and change life so dramatically. Lord, I pray that you be with the doctors, Lord, as they uh, minister to him physically. Lord, I pray for our sister Turner as well. And, Lord, for our services tonight, we sure need your touch. We need your presence now in Christ's name. Amen. Song of Fellowship, Brother Ken. Amen. Let's turn to 146. It's page number 146. The shelter in the time of storm. We'll sing the first verse and chorus. Have a time of fellowship. Page 146. The Lord's our rock and Him we hide. A shelter in the time of storm. Secure shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock and a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock and a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. Amen.
All right, let me give you some uh, uh, updates and announcements uh, since we were out this past Sunday. Um, first of all, don't forget those senior saints who are going on our senior day trip, uh, which is on Thursday, April the 19th. Due date for that was originally this past Sunday, being extended to this Sunday. Need to sign up and have the money in uh, by this coming Sunday. Uh, don't forget also our Judas bags for our special offering on this coming Sunday. That'll go to help with our parking lot fund, uh, all the, everything that comes in for that. If you use the online system, there is a, uh, a building fund option that you can utilize if you'd like to use that for that special special uh, offering on, on Resurrection Sunday. And then uh, a reminder, we will also extend by a couple of weeks that the, the help we're doing for the needy family uh, with the 19-month-old boy and the 36-month-old boy, uh, uh, size 2T and 3T. That information will be back in your bulletin, and we will extend that a week as well. Gentlemen, make your way down tonight. Everybody turn in your Bibles, if you would, two places, Matthew 27 and Genesis 22. Matthew 27, Genesis chapter number 22 tonight. Father, bless the offering. May it be what you'd have it to be. Lord, thank you for church doors that are open. In Christ's name, amen. chapter 27 tonight, Genesis 22. Parents, uh, if your teens are going with us to teen conference or young adults, please make sure they sign up uh, by Sunday as well. Matthew 27, Genesis chapter 22. Uh, ironically, uh, when I was writing this message out a few weeks ago in preparation for what I thought was going to be this past Sunday, uh, I kept uh, or thinking to myself, this is more of a Wednesday night message than it is a Sunday morning message. I was bound and determined I was going to preach it on Sunday morning, uh, but now we'll go back to my original plan, which is this is make a good Wednesday night lesson. So uh, uh, if you'll remember from a week and a half ago, I told you we were going to do four nights or four, four lessons, four messages, uh, all about uh, starting with the condemnation of Christ. Uh, and tonight, we're going to look at the crucifixion of Christ. I recognize that on a Wednesday night, uh, almost without question, folks are saved. I get that. But if you've been saved for any length of time, you recognize and you understand that the message of the cross is one that never gets old. It is something that we can never study too much. It is something that we can never get enough of. And in fact, it's my humble opinion, it is one of those things that we, and I count myself in that number, sometimes take for granted that everybody knows and understands, and that's simply not the case. So I want to spend tonight uh, talking with you for a few moments just about the crucifixion of Christ. I, I think you will amend me on this. There is no day in history 
No event in human history that rises to the level of importance of the day when Christ was crucified. Let me also be very clear. On Sunday, I will bring Lord willing. Uh, I was going to say Lord willing and the creek don't rise. I'll say Lord willing and the snow don't fall. Amen. Uh, on Sunday, we're going to be talking about uh, the, the crowning of Christ, that resurrection day, because you know that Easter is all about not a man on a cross, but it's about an empty tomb. It's not about uh, where he is uh, in terms of on two wooden crosses. It's where he is seated today at the right hand of the Father. But I want you to understand tonight that we can never get enough. We can never talk enough. We can never learn enough. And we can never praise enough uh, for the crucifixion of Christ that happened uh, there uh, in our gospel accounts. We're going to look at two places, as we said. We will start in Matthew 27. Uh, uh, and I want to begin in verse 27 and read down through verse 51, 52. And then during the middle of the message, we will flip over to Genesis 22. So let's begin tonight. Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse number 27. Notice Scripture says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall, and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews, and they spit upon him, and took the reed, and smote him on the head. After that, they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him, put his own raiment on him, and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. When they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And look at verse 35, please. Critical verse, four words there, and they crucified him. Parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them. Upon my vesture did they cast lots. Sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head his accusation written. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. They that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it, Three days, save thyself. 
If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. May I pause just a moment and say, as you well understand, he had every power to do exactly what is described there. It, you know this, but I like saying it. It was not three nails that held Jesus to the cross. The next verse. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elias, or as we would say, Elijah. Straightway, one of them, ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let us be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Those verses tonight, and there are a few others that continue to look at the crucifixion story, combined with the account in Mark, Luke, and John, provide us with what is the very linchpin of our Christian faith. The very undergirding, the very underpinning of our faith. In fact, what all of the Old Testament typology of the tabernacle had been about is fulfilled in the crucifixion of Christ. It is, in combination with the resurrection of Christ, the very thing on which our faith is built. I give it to you a different way. There are folks who will say, they follow the teachings of Christ. They don't necessarily believe in the miracles of Christ, but they believe he was a good man or a good teacher. May I say to you tonight that a good teacher cannot be a resurrected Savior. A good man cannot save someone from their sins. What we have read tonight and what we will commemorate on Easter Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday, is the most important piece of our faith. You remove it, and the whole system crumbles. I give it to you yet one more way. If we don't believe this, then the whole faith system falls apart. Everything about what we believe is based on the fact that the Lamb of God was crucified, 
and rose again the third day. Three things that we'll look at tonight on the crucifixion of the king. Number one, I want you to note with me the place of his crucifixion. The place of his crucifixion. Go back, if you would, please, to verse number 33. And note what Scripture says. When they were come into a place called, what's the word, church? Golgotha. And then so that modern-day readers, I think, will even further understand, Scripture gives us a clarification of what that is. That is to say, a place of a skull. Golgotha in Latin is called Calvary. That place that resembles the skull of a dead man. That place just outside the city gate of Jerusalem was a prominent place. It was a place where all the Jews would recognize. In a way that you might understand it, it would be like driving up 52 and seeing Grandfather Mountain. How many of you know what I'm talking about? As you drive and you see that mountain there, you know exactly what it is. It's prominent. It speaks. It's called Grandfather Mountain because if you look at it in a certain way, its, it's side view kind of resembles the face of a grandfather. It's got that name for that. Similarly, Golgotha was a prominent place outside the gate of Jerusalem with the visible semblance of a skull. However, it didn't just look like a skull. You need to understand, folks, that the Roman government would allow the bodies. I don't want to be gruesome, but I'm going to be blunt. The Roman government would allow the bodies of the crucified to rot on the crosses. The skull mountain, if you will, Golgotha was literally littered with the skulls of countless enemies of Rome who had been crucified. Crucifixion was a common form of execution for the Roman government. So you've got a place, if you will, a hill that resembles a skull, the top of which would be the crosses. Bodies would typically be allowed to rot there on the cross. And then they would simply be thrown down into the ground, if you will. So now the place of the skull is littered with the skulls of humanity. It was a prominent place. Everybody in Jerusalem knew where Golgotha was. Hold your place there. Put your bookmarker, if you would, and turn to Genesis chapter 22. Please turn to Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis 22, we have a beautiful, beautiful picture, an account of that same place referred to by a different name. You see, Golgotha wasn't just a prominent place. It was a prophetic place. I am not a preacher who tries to find typology where typology does not exist. But there are places in Scripture where there are unquestionable types or images or symbols that paint a beautiful picture of Calvary, of the crucifixion. And none is more prevalent than Genesis 22, which we know to be the offering of Isaac. You know the story. 
You've got a great father, Abraham, who's told by God to offer up his son, his only son. Abraham willingly obeys, takes Isaac off to the mountain, if you will, away from his mother so that they can go and worship. Not surprisingly, this is the first time you hear the word worship or read the word worship mentioned in Scripture. It involves the death of a son. Scripture is so clear, and the wording is so very important. Because in Matthew chapter 27, it's called Golgotha. But in Genesis 22, the very same hill, the very same place is not called Golgotha, but it's called Moriah. So, some 2,000 years, 1,890 years approximately, before Jesus would be crucified on the cross, Abraham is about to offer his son Isaac on the very same hill that Jesus would later be executed or crucified on. Isaac asks an incredibly important question. Look, if you would, at chapter 22, verse 7. Scripture says, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac's question is one that makes sense if you understand the worship system of the day. Isaac says, I see wood. He says, I see fire. But Father, I don't see the sacrifice. Specifically, I don't see the lamb. I'll pause a moment and say that the law had not yet been written, but God had already confirmed in the hearts of believers that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins, and the fact that there is no worship without the death of the lamb. So Abraham's answer is incredibly prophetic when he says in verse number 8, Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. Abraham did not say God will provide a lamb for himself, but Abraham said God will provide himself a lamb. I don't believe that Abraham understood the power of the words he'd spoken. I don't believe Isaac understood the power of the words that he'd spoken. But nearly 1,900 years after Abraham utters these words, uh, the very Lamb of God provides himself uh, for a sacrifice at the very mount uh, where Isaac was to be offered. Look, if you would, please, uh, down uh, at verse 14. When the angel of the Lord steals the hand of Abraham and tells him, you don't have to do this, God has seen your faith. Look at verse 14. Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. That word Jehovah-Jireh literally means the Lord will see to it. The Lord will take care of it. The Lord will see to it. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. I want you to understand that when the place of Golgotha 
was chosen as the place of execution. It was not uh, just a prominent place that the Jews would know. It was a prophetic place uh, that had been prophesied about uh, for nearly 1,900 years. It was the place where Abraham would offer his son Isaac. Uh, It was the place uh, where Abraham would say God will provide himself a lamb. And it was the place uh, where Abraham would say, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will see to it. And I'm here to tell you tonight, 4,000 years after that sacrificial event of Genesis 22, the Lord will still see to it because of what happened on Calvary, place of crucifixion. Then number two tonight, I want you to notice the pain of crucifixion. Go back to Matthew if you would, please. Go back to Matthew if you would. And I'm going to ask your indulgence for just a little bit tonight because it is this section that I think lends the message tonight to a Wednesday night teaching discussion more than a Sunday morning preaching message. But I want you to listen very carefully. I'm afraid that we preachers do a very poor job of describing the torture, the torment, and the pain that our Savior endured on the cross of Calvary. In fact, if you will look at verse 35 of chapter 27, Matthew simply says four things. And they crucified him. I'll remind you that Matthew is written to Jews. So when Jews hear about Or when Jews read about someone being crucified, they get it. They understood it. They knew what it meant. 2,000 years later, we don't know the pain. We don't comprehend. It's not something we witness on a regular basis. And so the details of that painful crucifixion often go unsaid. I'll remind you. That Christ has been awake now for at least 24 hours. He's been through at least four different trials. He's been beaten by the Jews. He's been beaten by the Roman soldiers. He's endured the horror of the crown of thorns. He's endured the plaiting of the reeds, beating his head with the crown of thorns. He's endured the spitting upon his face. He's endured the mockery. He's endured the buffeting, the open fist, and the closed fist. And as Isaiah 53 says, he was as a lamb, quiet to the slaughter, sheep before her shearers is dumb. But now we come to the moment of crucifixion. And I'm going to ask you to listen with intentionality as I share with you what is a medical doctor's modern day understanding to help a modern audience understand what crucifixion is like. I would not share this with children. I wouldn't share this with young kids. But adults, you need to understand that when Matthew said, and they crucified him, oh my, what he endured. Listen carefully. The cross, and pardon me for reading, but you need to hear all of it. The cross is placed on the ground. And the exhausted Jesus is quickly thrown backwards with his shoulders against the wood. The soldier feels for the depression 
at the front of the wrist. That means it's right here. Right here. You will sometimes see portraits of where he is crucified here. Sometimes you will see where he's crucified here. I've read entire treatises uh, of different ideas uh, where the one can't blast the other. To do that is to miss the whole point. In all likelihood, uh, because of the way the human body is constructed, he would have been crucified with this denture, indenture of the human wrist there. The soldier drives a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through the wrist, deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flexibility and movement lest the crucified one suffocate because of an inability to breathe. Having nailed the two arms and wrists to the cross, the cross is then hoisted and lifted in place. The left foot is depressed backwards against the right foot and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees flexed. The victim is now crucified. We could stop there and we would understand the incredible agony, but please bear with me because I want you to hear with great intentionality of everything that the Lord Jesus Christ endured so that you and I could have a home in heaven. As the Savior slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in his wrists and hands, excruciating, fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms. The nails in the wrists are putting pressure on the nerves. As he pushes himself upward, and I'll remind you that his back had already been beaten, as he pushes himself upward against that wooden rugged cross, to avoid this stretching torment, he places the full weight of the nails through his feet. Again, he feels the searing agony of the nails tearing through the nerves and the bone against the bones of his feet. As the arms tire, cramps begin to sweep through the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps, an hour Upon hour comes the inability to push himself upward any longer to breathe. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but not exhaled. Christ would fight, undoubtedly, to raise himself further to even get a single small breath. Finally, carbon dioxide begins to build up in the lungs and the bloodstream. Spasmodically, he is able Occasionally to push himself upward to exhale, to bring in oxygen. Hours upon hours of this limitless pain. Cycles of twisting and cramping. Intermittent partial suffocation. Searing pain. His tissue is torn from his back as he moves up and down the timber. Then another agony begins. A deep crushing pain. In the chest, the pericardium slowly fills with liquid and begins to compress his heart. It's now almost over. 
The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in final gulps of air. He can feel the chill of death creeping across his organs. Finally, his body is about to die. I share all of that, folks, and that is just literally the tip of the iceberg. Because I want you to understand that when you see these pictures, and I say this often, but I want to say it again. When you see these pictures of this, please allow me to say this, feminine-looking man hanging on a cross with a little drop of blood here and a little drop of blood there, that ain't the case. Christ was a rugged carpenter, a man's man, who willingly gave his life for those that would become born-again believers. Willingly gave his life so that we might be saved. And when Matthew says, and they crucified him, those four words we need to put in context to understand the horrific pain he endured so that we might be saved. If that wasn't enough, if the pain of the cross wasn't enough, there was the pain of the crowds. The pain of the crowds. I'm amazed when I say this, but there were those there that day that made it their job to enhance his suffering. There were those there that day that made it their job to make his pain even worse. The soldiers, again, you know this, but we should talk about it at this time of year. The soldiers who nailed him to the cross, then gambled, cast lots, play games at the foot of the cross over his meager, meager clothes. The people walking below him for hour upon hour laugh at him. They make fun of him. The religious leaders ridicule this, this figure uh, there hanging on the cross. And of course you know that even one of the criminals crucified beside of him would ridicule him as well. Laughing at him. Making fun of him. I say to you tonight that the pain of the cross was coupled with the pain of the crowds. But everybody in the building should say amen to this. He endured that pain until completion. He endured that pain until completion. Our text says in verse number 50, when he had cried with a loud voice, you put all of the sayings of Christ together. And you will know that he also in John 19 says tetatelestii, which I think most of you already knows is a phrase that means it is finished. If you've been in this church very long, you've heard me talk a lot about that phrase. It is another one of those powerful, powerful statements that is underwritten with so much meaning. What does it mean? It is finished. Tetatelestii would be a servant's word. It would be a word that a servant would use when a job had been done. Tetatelestii, I'm finished. I've completed the work. It was a priest's word. It was a word that would be used when a sacrificial animal was to be found perfect and slaughtered. So when a priest would, 
would, would look at a, an animal that was appropriate for, to be slain and would slay that animal as a sacrifice, the priest would say, Tetelestia, it is finished. It was an artist's word. When a master artist had completed a spectacular masterpiece and had finished the final touches, he could stand back and say, Tetelestiae, it's finished. It was an athlete's word. When a, when a marathon runner had crossed the finish line of a 26.5-mile run, uh, exhausted, uh, with no breath left in his body, stumbling across the finish line, he could say, Tetelestiae, it is finished. And every one of those applies to Calvary. For Jesus, as the great servant, could say to his father, it is done. It's finished. As the priest who had sacrificed his own body, he could say, it is finished. As an artist who had painted the beautiful masterpiece of Golgotha of Calvary, he could say, it is finished. And Surely, after hours upon hours of crucifixion like an athlete crossing the finish line he could say it is finished but the one that I think is the most applicable and the one that still is very much relative to you and me today is the fact that Telestia it is finished was a merchant's term and I want to set the stage so that you understand this someone owes a debt let's say you've purchased a good but you don't have the money to pay for it. And so the merchant opens up his ledger book and he writes your name down. Greg Hodges owes me $25 for services rendered. And until that debt is paid, it will forever remain in that ledger book. But on the day that Greg Hodges has the $25, he takes it to that merchant hands him the $25, and the merchant then scratches out the debt, or as we might say, removes the debt, and says, Tetelestiae, it is finished. The debt has been paid. Let me pause a moment and say that ought to make the coldest one of us in the room shout just a little bit. When we realize the fact that we had a debt that you know that you couldn't pay. There's no money. There's no life that's good enough. Uh, there's no reckoning that's worthy enough. There's nothing you could do to pay that debt. Uh, and in order to have that debt paid, the sinless Son of God had to pay it. So when he looked up to heaven and said, Tetelestiae, God literally looked through the pages of humanity knowing everyone who would ever be saved said, Tetelestiae, for those it is finished. Their debt has been paid. And I say to you tonight that when Matthew says they crucified him, our debt was settled. May I say to you tonight on Sunday morning, when we stand up and we sing, I serve a risen Savior, he's in the world today, we can sing that because the debt's been paid. Sunday morning when we stand up and we talk about the blood, we talk about God being of Christ being seated at the right hand of the Father, and we talk about our home in heaven, we can celebrate all of that because our debt 
has been paid. Final thought tonight. Not only do we see, number one, the place, the pain. I want you to notice finally tonight the power of this crucifixion. As if all of this wasn't good enough. Verse 50 says, When they cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Verse 51 puts it all in context. Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. And it even goes on to say from the top to the bottom. I'll remind you that this is not the temple veil of the tabernacle in the wilderness. This is not the temple veil of a hand-sewn cloth. This is Herod's temple. This is a monstrous edifice of a structure. History tells us that the temple veil here was four feet thick. Four feet thick. So thick, in fact, that horses on either side with chains to the top would not have been able to rip that veil apart. But the finger of God unzipped it all the way down. For when his son said, Teta Telestii, it is finished. What was once a one-way street where only one person could go into the presence of God one day a year is now a whosoever will super-duper highway. And as it was if, it was as if God the Father said, uh, what was once a sign that said, keep out, don't enter, keep out. There is now a new sign that says, whosoever will may come. The power of his crucifixion. Sunday morning, we will stand and we will get dressed and come to church and have our Sunday clothes on. We'll have our Bibles with us, families together. We'll sit in the, the pews and we'll celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive and well. We'll have a Sunday lunch with family and friends perhaps. Uh, and it will be a glorious day. Why? Because it's finished. Our debt has been paid. As you gather together with your family Sunday and you sit in those pews and you listen to the choir and you listen to the special and you listen to the preacher preach, uh, I want you to be reminded of the fact that you have the ability to do that uh, because it is finished. The debt has been paid. That is why we can say that in the worst of circumstances of life, we can say, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world. Let's stand on our feet tonight. The condemnation of the king gives way in this story to the crucifixion of the king. Yet we know that this is marching to the beat of a drum that was ordained for thousands of years if you're here tonight and you want to slip to the altar you come on tonight but I'm just going to pray and dismiss us and I'm going to spend a little bit of time thanking him for the price he paid Heavenly Father thank you does not seem to even begin to encapsulate the debt that we owe you Lord those two simple words just to say thank you for Calvary seems so simple Yet we have no other words to say other than to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for enduring the pain of the cross. Thank you for the hours upon hours of beatings and mockery, and scorn, 
that you endured so that we might have a home in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for Calvary. Thank you for Golgotha's heel. Thank you for the place of the skull. Thank you for the nails. Thank you for the blood that was shed. Lord, oftentimes we all, I'm guilty of it, get wrapped up in all of the things that we are going through on a day-in and day-out basis. We fail to give you thanks for the fact that you paid it all. You settled our debt so that we might have life more abundantly. Lord, I say thank you for this church and the people here. Thank you for the leadership team that stands with us. Lord, I'm asking for a wonderful service Sunday morning. Lord, the holiest day of the year for the child of God, for the Christian, is the day we commemorate that Jesus is alive and well. Help us to have a glorious resurrection day. Lord, may your house be filled. Lord, may it be, may those who need to hear the gospel message be brought in as well. How great it would be on Resurrection Sunday if a new name would be written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Lord, bless us as we get ready for the week events. Lord, bless the days ahead as we prepare. Again, I ask you to touch Brother Robert Turner. Lord, ease his pain. Bless the doctors now. In Christ's name, amen. You're dismissed tonight. Thank you for being here this evening. May the Lord bless you this week.